All right, kids, those of you who are pre-K through first grade, if you guys are ready to go to Elevate, to Children's Church, you can head toward Miss Courtney over here. If you're a guest of ours um, and you have a pre-K through first grader and they would like to go to a Children's Church time, there's never any obligation, but it's a great opportunity. They get Bible stories and all kinds of fun stuff uh, in Children's Church. Not to mention, you can see all the books down here uh, that Jaren's going to show off for us uh, right there. So, uh, well done, Jaren. Um, I think last I heard, it was somewhere around 982 boxes and growing, and so we were shooting for 1,000. In seminary, they teach us to do out of church math. 982 is definitely 1,000, I can guarantee you, in, uh, in church math. We can round up with the best of them. Uh, so, thank you all for participating uh, in Operation Christmas Child boxes. These boxes obviously don't walk themselves out of here, and so at the end of the service, Jim is going to give you a couple of opportunities of ways you can get involved with ministry moving ahead with these shoe boxes and some things we have going on. So thankful we've been able to sing together this morning uh, to celebrate baptism. Those songs that we've used this morning about laying down our idols, opening up our hands to the Lord. That's going to be foundational for what we're looking at this morning. It's Matthew chapter 19 in your Bible. If you're a guest of ours, you haven't been here before, we are going through the book of Matthew just a little bit at a time. We're aiming for Easter of this coming year to to wrap up our study of Matthew, and we're just taking it a little bit at a time. And so this week, we are in the second half of Matthew chapter 19. If you would like to open up that, you may have gotten a copy of some sermon notes that you can look at uh, along the way as well, if that would be helpful to you. All right, here's what I want to do starting out. So we're going to get to Matthew 19 momentarily to start out, explain what we're going for, and kind of give you a, a mental image to keep in mind during the sermon. I want you to watch this quick video. What this video is going to be, it is a video of the world champion Toastmasters public speaker. If you've heard of Toastmasters, it's a public speaking coaching company. This, is, this guy was the world champion public speaker, and he gives a couple of pieces of advice, and they're actually going to connect to our scripture this morning. So watch this. My dad came over to me and said, son, it's okay. You flunked your exams. You already got arrested. One of the most important things that you need to realize is when you get nervous, you try to cover your white organs. And that's why you would see a lot of speakers sometimes fold their hands, bring their hands in front of them, and that's a sign of nervousness. Great speakers keep their body open so there is no barrier between you and me. Raise your hand if you have an emotional mother. Let me see. Put them all together, you get mama. Something that when you're starting out, you got to be very conscious about is keep your body open. Here's tip number two. Have your palms open. Do this exercise with me. Take a look at your palms. Turn them around. Take a look at the inside of your palms again. What side relaxes your eye? If you really concentrate, when you look at the inside of your palm, your eye relaxes. And a lot of great speakers, they open their palms towards the audience showing a more openness. Uh, And that allows the audience to connect with the speaker better, as opposed to showing the back of your hand. Ladies and gentlemen, today I'm a dreamer, I'm a speaker, and I learned the unfailing quality of unconditional love. 
All right, so we're going to cut that off because now you're going to be totally self-conscious, or I'm going to be self-conscious about everything I do on stage, and you're going to be judging me even more than normal. So we're going to cut it off before he gets to his, uh, his, his other uh, tips there. Here's what I want you to pick up. Here's why I show that video. What he is saying about public speaking is, is true of our lives in this way. Many of us, in ways we don't understand, we act like children where we, we hold things close and we turn away and we say, mine, 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 mine. You know, this idea of we hold things really close as opposed to living open-handed. Open hands, open hearts. Lord, everything I have is from you. Everything I have is for you. And there is a foundational difference between living in a way where we hold things close and tight. There's a word for that in scripture. They turn into idols. Anything that I I'm scared about losing anything I think if I didn't have this my life would fall apart anything that controls me that I hold on to and say mine my mind it becomes an idol it begins to control my attention it controls my money it controls my time and and what the Lord is doing in our lives is he is calling us to live open-handed open our hearts open our hands and live the life that he's called us to live and we're going to see this this morning from a story that if you've been a part of church before, you've probably heard about a rich young ruler and his struggle with releasing his wealth. But to make sense of these verses, we've got to see a verse in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 19, it's going to be up on the screen, no, Proverbs chapter 13, verses 19 and 20 up here. Wisdom's hand, so Lady Wisdom, the, the, the woman there in Proverbs 31, Wisdom's hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fiber. So wisdom is at work. Wisdom is not passive. The life God has called you to is not passive. There's work to be done. She opens her hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. How do you learn to live in that way? Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. Verse 13, Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said, or Matthew says, leading into this, then children were brought to Jesus that he might lay his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked the people. Now we've already seen this in Matthew chapter 18, but when we're talking about children, when Jesus is talking about let the children come to me, the children here are needy, and all the parents say amen. Uh, but uh, The children are, are needy, but, but they're also open-handed. They don't come with a lot to bring. They're low status in the ancient world. Our, children's are, our, children, our, our children are very much the center of our existence. In the ancient world, children were low status, pushed to the sides, didn't have anything to bring. When you see that these children were brought to him, remember, remember, Jesus was seen as a healer, a miracle worker. These children, despite the pictures we find in our little kids' Bibles, these children are most likely not skipping to Jesus. These children who are brought to Jesus are likely very ill. They're in very difficult situations, and so they, they don't come with a lot to bring to the table. And the disciples rebuke the people. Why? Because the disciples continue to struggle with greatness. Their idea of who should get close to Jesus are those who have a lot to bring, 
a lot to offer. Those who are high class, they should get close to Jesus. But these little children, they don't have anything to offer. They're just needy, always wanting something, always needing something. Why would Jesus bring them? Look what happens in the next verse. But Jesus said, verse 14, let the children, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them. He showed his care. And then he went away. Jesus is teaching the disciples again. My kingdom is not made up of those who have a lot to bring to the table. My kingdom is not made up of those who are high class, high society, have it all together. My kingdom is made up of those who realize that they are needy. <laughs> who don't have a lot to bring to the table. Those are the people that I'm going to do my work among. Then watch what happens. Watch how Matthew does this in the next, next verse. Then he transitions to a story in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, in your Bible, if you're reading out of a hard copy or even some of the versions on your phone, we get those little subheadings, those little bold-faced subheadings that help you transition from one section to a, a, the next. Those are fine. They're helpful, except when they're not. <laughs> so if we're not careful, we have the little children come to Jesus story, and then we have the rich young man story, and we keep them separate. But don't miss the way that Matthew's gospel is set up here and how he's using these stories. They are meant to contrast two ways of what it looks like to live your life. There's the little children who come needy before Jesus, and then Matthew is going to show you the opposite of that, beginning in verse 16, to show you what not to do and why it's so difficult here. So this man that's mentioned here is in contrast to those children. We're going to later find out that, that he's young, that he's rich. Luke's gospel even calls him a ruler, though Matthew doesn't mention that part right here. It says at the end of 16, teacher, so he's coming before Jesus, notice, not as a healer, not as a miracle worker, he's just coming having this conversation about teaching, I need to be taught how to do something, I don't need to be healed. He refers to him as teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? This rich young man, something is lacking in his life. He has this feeling that I haven't done enough to earn eternal life. And he asked Jesus, what good thing must I do to eternal life? Because in his mind, eternity with God is reserved for those who do really great things. If I do something really special, really great, then I'll be able to be with God. Then I'll achieve this eternal life. What does Jesus do in the next verse? He said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. All right, let's slow down for a second here and make sure we don't cause unnecessary confusion at, at this point. This verse is sometimes used in discussions about Jesus' divinity as Jesus saying that he's not God. That's not what Jesus is doing here. What Jesus is doing here is he is redirecting this man's attention from a good thing that he might be able to do to God who himself is good. So he needs to get the man's attention off of doing another good deed, and he needs to put his attention on God. So take your focus off of what you're doing. 
you're not going to be able to achieve eternal life on your own and set your focus on God. So he puts his attention on God, and then he says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. So Owen, does that mean that if I do a bunch of good things, that then I would be able to earn my standing with God? Here's what Jesus is doing at this point. The commandments are always meant to reveal what is happening in the heart. Jesus has addressed this in the Sermon on the Mount. This was true in the Old Testament. This isn't something Jesus makes. This has always been true from the time that the commandments were given to the Israelites, to the people of God. Living out the commandments is living out what is happening inside of us. The very first command, you shall have no other gods before me. My spacing didn't work well there, but you see it. You shall have no other gods before me. The foundation of the commandments that God gives his people is worship. So the reason Jesus can say, if you keep these commandments, you're going to have eternal life, it's because all the commandments are built on worship. Shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only? The very next commandments, don't make idols. Don't, don't take a possession, don't take a carved image and then treat it as God. Watch what happens in the next verse. He said to him, which ones, by the way, you can tell he's not catching the direction that Jesus is going. Which commandments should I obey? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus takes commandments five through nine, and then at the end there, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He adds on there a a passage from Leviticus chapter 19 that kind of summarizes what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is pointing him back to these basic commandments about how we treat others. That the way we treat others says a lot about how we see God. So when we love and honor and worship God above all things, that will flow into the way we treat people around us. But what commandment did Jesus leave out of that list? He left out number 10, which is about coveting, about greed, about the way we see our, our possessions. So he's letting the young man say, you know what? Because what does the young man say in the next verse? In the very next verse, verse 20, he said, hey, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? I've done all of these things. I've achieved all of these things, but something is still missing. Here's a good reminder. You can have all the possessions you could ever imagine. You can have all of the religious traditions and religious background you could ever imagine, and you can still feel like you lack something in your relationship with God. We think about this as a middle-aged type question, a middle-aged problem, and, and often it is, but you see older adults, senior adults who get to the end of their life and think, I gained this, I accrued this, I achieved this, what does it all really matter? When you get to a point of saying, I've done all this, I've tried all this, 
I still lack something. There's still a hole inside me. There's something missing. And man, can I tell you this morning, if you're in that situation of saying, Owen, I have tried to be successful in my family. I've tried to be successful in my business. I've tried to be a good religious person. And there is still something missing here. What's going on in that situation? What does Jesus say in the next verse? Jesus said to him in verse 21, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now remember, when Matthew's gospel uses the word perfect, the word perfect in, in Greek and in the way it works in Matthew's gospel, it means whole. It means, it means complete. It means what's happening on the outside matches what's going on on the inside. It's the idea of being at peace. It's, it's a whole, complete person. And when it all comes together, if you're going to be in that situation, Jesus says, you need to go sell what you possess and give to the poor. Okay, so again, are you saying, Owen, that I need to go and do this, and then that will be my great deed that will make me right with God? No, don't miss the point of what Jesus is doing here. What's Jesus doing? He is getting that young man to release his idols. He's, what he's been holding on to, that he thought was going to provide life for him, that he knows is not working out, Jesus is saying, whoa, whoa, just release that. Give that up and come follow me because I will lead you to eternal life. I will show you the path of true life if you will give that up. Kids, how many of you are making Christmas lists already? Like you've, you've, you've searched the calendar. Parents, how many of you are making Christmas lists already? You've searched the calendar. Uh, not the calendar, the catalog. Uh, the calendar too because it comes, comes soon. But you search the catalog. You circle all the gifts you really want. Like you know what you want for Christmas. Imagine this situation, kids. All right. So you have picked out the gift for Christmas that you really, really, really want. And your parents come to you and say, okay, we're going to get that for you. We know that you want that. It's going to happen. But what you need to do is you've got to clear some things out of your room. Like you've accumulated a lot of possessions. Your room has more than you need in there. If you would just clear some room, we will get that for you. And you say, no, no, I can't, I can't part with those things. And they're like, no, to, to get this, this is what you really want. All you have to do is clear out a little bit of room. Would you clear out room of all those old things that have what you really want? Yeah, you probably would if it was that important to you. But this young man right here is struggling because watch what he does in the next verse. Verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. He's being asked to go and sell all that he had, to give up these things, to follow Jesus and find true life. And he says, I can't do it because my possessions are too many, they're too important to me. Now, we're not in his shoes, right? But when you're on the outside looking into the situation, you see how bad the perspective is, right? <laughs> this man is being offered eternal life 
by the creator of the world, everything that he could ever ask for, all he has to do is give up these earthly possessions that amount to what? Nothing in comparison, but he couldn't do it. And one of the saddest things in scripture, he went away sorrowful. He didn't go away happy because he knows that he lacks something. He's already feeling beaten down in life. All these possessions and wealth have not satisfied him because they never do. And he went away sorrowful. We're always meant to read this verse against Matthew 13, 44, and you've probably already seen it behind me. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Let me divide the room, divide people into two categories. And I know this is gonna feel oversimplified, but, but hear me out because this matters for our lives. We can divide the room, we can divide people between those who are seeking to find life in the things of the world but are ultimately sad and those who give up anything the world could ever offer to find true life and ultimately find joy. Jesus is making that type of distinction. Are you gonna continue to be sad holding on to the things of this world? Are you gonna let go of that and find true life and true joy? In the 1830s, uh, there was a French politician, Alexei de Tocqueville, who came to the United States to do uh, research and to try to figure out what's going on in the United States. Why, are, why is all this economic development happening? What's happening here? So this Frenchman came over to the United States. And, and de Tocqueville, when he came, as he was going around America, it says that he noted that the people had a strange sadness in the midst of abundance. A strange sadness in the midst of abundance. And if that doesn't explain and describe the world we live in, I don't know what else does. Where you can have so much, and you can be here and say, man, I wish I was wealthy like this guy. Remember, we, all of us, (laughs) live in a higher category of wealth than we could ever imagine or, or describe. But there's a strange sadness that overwhelms our world. So many conversations happening right now, people coming to us just feeling anxious, feeling depressed, feeling sad. You, you look out in the world and people chasing after so many things and never finding any joy or peace. And Jesus is saying, let that go and come to me. Verse 24, no, 23, actually. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why is it so difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God? Because it's hard to focus on eternity when your eyes and your attention are focused on the things of this earth. And wealth, possessions, have a way of saying more, 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 more. You never reach that point of ultimate satisfaction. There's always a sense of lack. There's always a sense of needing something else. And and you never find that. And so this idea of a camel going through the eye of a needle, 
it's just meant to be a humorous statement. Jesus is trying to get their attention of how hard this is. So in verse 25, here's what the disciples said. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Why did the disciples give this question? Who then can be saved? Remember who the disciples thought was closest to the kingdom of God. Who did they think was closest to the kingdom of God? They thought it was wealthy people. And now Jesus has just said that people who have great wealth are actually furthest from the kingdom of God. They're going to have the hardest time getting there, and the disciples are having a terrible time coming to grips with this. And Jesus says, yeah, with man this is impossible that you would give up all the things of this world, that you would let go of all of these doubts, all of these struggles, all of this sadness, and you would trust in God. But with God, that is possible. Then Peter, in verse 27, has a a bit of a surprising comment, but you can see where it comes from. Then Peter, in verse 27, said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What reward are we going to get out out of this? Jesus said in verse 28, Truly I say to you, in the new world, in the age to come, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Okay, remember I kind of told you at the beginning there was two ways to live. You you hold close like this, or you live open-handed. Peter is kind of going for the transactional way of living. Lord, I'll open this hand to you, but it would sure be great if I could get something back in, in this hand. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You open both hands to me, you give yourself to me, you follow me, and in eternity, in the new world, you'll receive back more than you could ever imagine because you've not lived for what you see right now. That What you see right now is not the end of the story. There's life to come, and I'll take care of that, Peter. Right now, you need to follow me. So what's happening in these verses? What do we need to take away from these verses? The first is, We have to understand what it means to deny ourselves. To deny ourselves, to say, I'm not in charge. I'm not going to seek to run my life. I'm not going to see how many accomplishments or possessions, how much power I can accrue. It's not about what I can do. I will turn away from that. I'll put my focus on God. I'll empty my hands of all of these idols, of all this treasure, and I'll lay it before the Lord. Everything we have is from God. Everything we have is for God. God, this life that I have, it's from you, and I want to live it for you. I open my hands to you. Really quickly, before we move on from this, because this is important, hear me out. If you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, you struggle with the faith question you're impressed by people who believe, but you just can't bring yourself to believe, and you, you continue to struggle with these things. 
Let me, let me give you something that might be helpful to think about. When something good comes into your life, maybe you experience beauty and creation, maybe you experience just the joy of friends and family, something good comes into your life. How do you give thanks in that moment? So, so you struggle with faith. You say, I, I wish I could believe in God. I wish I could believe there's something going on here. I'm struggling with faith. When something good comes into your life, who do you give thanks to? Is it, is it just good fortune? Is it good luck? Is it just something that came into your, or is there something in your heart that wants to cry out in thankfulness to God? Or when you find yourself hurting and people hurting around you, there's something within you that wants to cry out, God, I do believe you're there. I do believe you're at work. This question of thankfulness, this question of, of releasing and opening our hands, it's a big step on the journey of faith, what it means to believe in God, what it means to follow Christ, that we put our hope in him, not in ourselves. Our life is not about how much we can accumulate, but it's about realizing everything we have comes from God and we are gonna live for him. So we deny ourselves, we look to him, we get rid of all this junk we're carrying around and we lay it before him. And then the last thing is we just follow Christ. We, we go after him following the way of Jesus. We open our hands in trust and praise to God. We open our hands in generosity to others. And we trust in God to take care of the rewards. Jim Elliott has a famous quote up here. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what was never ours to hold on to in order to gain what was never ours to gain in the first place, but will never go away. Lord, we trust you. I want to give you something to do this week that I hope would be helpful for you. When you go into situations in your life, this is a huge part of spiritual growth, and this is really simple, and I know it's going to be mega awkward, but, but go with me, okay? This week, as you go throughout your life, when you come into situations, just, just open your hands before the Lord. So let me give you a couple of really simple ways, okay? You go to work this week, and you get to work. Nobody has to, don't make a big extravagant show of it, because that'll make it even more awkward. You, you show up to work, show up, and just as you're walking up, just for a moment, maybe just a split second, just open your hands. Lord, this is for you. I'm not going to hold on to this. This is not mine to hold on to. You've given me this. I want to use it for you. I want to use it for your glory and the good of others, and it brings joy to my life to live for you. You go home. You interact with your kids. You put your kids to bed. Hands open. Hands out. Lord, this family, this house, these kids, it's from you. It's, it's all for you. And so I want to give glory to you. I want it to be good for my family. And I pray that there would be joy in my heart. And what we do, we begin to learn to live with hands open. So I'm not holding on to these things. I'm not, I'm not fearful of them or trying to grab. I'm saying, Lord, no, no, no. Hands open. Hands open in praise. You alone are worthy of my life. There's nothing here that I would ever want to give myself for. But I submit to you. 
I trust you. Jesus, you are better than anything this world could ever provide. You are better than anything I could ever gain on my own. I let go of all of this, and I raise my hands, and I trust you, and I will live for you with open hands. Would you pray with me? God, teach us that. I know in my heart, so often I'm like that rich young man that we, we feel like something is missing. And so we try to do something else, we try to gain something else, and nothing else fills that hole in our heart other than you. God, that we would let go of those things we're trying to hold on to. We would stop trying to achieve more, gain more, and we would just submit ourselves to you. Hands open in praise, hands open in trust, hands open in generosity. God, just use us. Work in our hearts. And God, remind us this morning that it may not be that we have a lot of possessions, but we don't have to have a lot of possessions to be eaten up by greed and coveting. That we think that if we could gain something here, more money, a better house, another job, something like that, that that would bring satisfaction, and it never does. It's only from you. God, in this moment, would you set us free to worship? Would you set us free to live for you because Jesus is better than anything this world could ever offer. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.